I heard Raymond Santana tell them, tell the other kids was that they were going to Spofford, and if they, uh, if they did go to Spofford, uh, that they would all stick together and fuck everybody up. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of looked at them like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid, mm-hmm. you know? And before the parents got there, my partner, Bobby, said to them, why are you guys out here beating people up? You, you should be with your girlfriends getting some. Mm-hmm. And Santana looked at Lopez and started laughing, and he goes, yeah, we already got ours. So they're then, all sitting in the same room? Mm-hmm. And they could all talk to each other? Yeah. Even the kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, we're talking about for hours. Yeah. All righty, so we're back with part two with our guest today, uh, NYPD retired police officer, Eric detective, Reynolds. Detective, actually. He was a detective. Oh, a detective. Yeah. All right. At the end of his career. You worked in a 3-2 uh, squad, right? Yeah. I think when you were there, I, it was right when I had gotten into the, squ- the squad, because I used to see you there once in a while. I remember, remember you. Me, right? Yeah. What year yeah. did you retire? Uh, 2001. Because right, I, I remember you. I, th- I feel like uh, you're familiar. We, we bumped into each other plenty of times off the job. I mean, um, weren't you just doing stand-up too? Yeah. Yeah, that's where we met. Yeah, yeah we talked oh, yeah. there. Yeah, plenty of times. Yeah. All right, so uh, where were we, man? Well, in part one of this episode, um, we're fortunate basically to have you here because this documentary is coming out, uh, a docudrama. It's on Netflix. Um it's a new movie about a story that happened on um, April 19th, 1989, the Central Park jogger, the rape. Um, five uh, young men were incarcerated. They were found guilty, and they wound up uh, doing time in prison because of this. And then we're going to find out about the outcome of that, which eventually turned out to be a lawsuit. Um, you were working that night. Uh, you were working... Um, in Central Park, anti-crime. Mm-hmm. You had the green van, yes, with the leaves on it. That's a park police. Va- no, it's a, just a park van. Uh, the park employees uh, that clean up the park. They use that van. You're in plain clothes. Right. You can't. Nobody can make you. you. Just said it before that nobody can make you. Nobody. That. And uh, while you were waiting for backup, you see 30 kids across the street fitting. What I mean, how many groups of 30 kids do you see just hanging out? Not many. And uh, we're on Central Park West right now. Yes. What street? Uh, 100th Street. And um, this be- this beautiful park, this Central Park that uh, all New Yorkers, they hold dearly to, to live close to there so they can actually feel like they, they're part of, uh, almost have like a country life. It's an escape from the city. It's the backyard of the rich and famous. Exactly. Right there in Manhattan. They go jogging in there. They ride their bicycles in there. Um, we mentioned all the different things that they have in there. You could eat in there. You could get a boat, go on the lake. Usually, 99% of the time, Central Park is a, is a haven. Yes. But not on this particular night. No. On this particular night, people that made the mistake of going through Central Park that evening, um, they ran into a big, a huge group of these young teenagers, roughly all between the ages of 14, 15, some 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And the group supposedly was 30 or better. And yes. they all came from a certain area, right? Yes. Most of them lived in, in Schomburg houses, right? Um, a number of them lived there. They were actually from all around. Okay. All around Manhattan or just... Um... Uptown, the uptown area. Within a, you know, within a couple of mile radius. Was there I, a specific high school that most of them went to? I don't think so. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not... Um, I don't know what the... Um, you know what 
any of the information on on some of the other kids because remember there was like 37 of them right so um and you were sitting there in the van and then um the female officer that wound up becoming a detective in one pp <laughs> she uh she knocks on the window and this i think those are the guys <laughs> yeah right but you wound up you wound up grabbing two of them uh, another car grabs three of them so you got five right what happens after that what happens after that is uh they're in the back of the car and they're crying and they're telling us we know who did the murder it was antron mccray we'll tell you like when he's was. telling you he's telling you these other it's the other two cops right that collar these three guys yeah those are the kids that are crying. Yeah. Antron McRae's already crying. No, Antron McRae's not there. Oh, okay. But who's the kids that are crying? Uh, Kevin Richardson, uh, Lamont McCall, and Clarence Thomas. Okay. And they're crying about it. They're, they're saying the word murder. Yes. <clears throat> and we you, guys know what, you don't even know what they're talking about, right? We thought they were talking about the, um, the male, the, the teacher. who was Lachlan that was yes. beaten with the pipe. That, our, our assumption was him because he was beaten so badly, we figured they thought they killed him. Right. What was what was the, he was hit in the head, yeah, and um, kicked, punched on the kicked ground, yes. while yeah. he was on the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. Later on, in one of the confessions, one of the kids said that uh, whoever it was that was beating him, they were beating him so badly that they had to pull him off. Mm-hmm. You know, even they were, even some of the kids in the group were disgusted by you know how badly this guy was getting beaten. Mm-hmm. They they thought it was enough. And this is the guy that picks him somehow finds a, a way to pick himself up and and run towards the police. Right. Yeah. All right. So you have that victim, but these kids in the, the so you're assuming that they're talking about maybe they're probably talking about murder. They thought they murdered that uh the jog, that male jogger. Right. Okay. You have no idea about the female none, jogger yet. None whatsoever. You take these guys back to the command. Yeah. I take him back to the command, and I'm kind of upset now because they're all juveniles. Mm-hmm. Now I got five juvenile collars, and you guys... Those uh, aren't easy. You know you how know, much work that for, is. For our audience, uh, the law for juveniles, if you're under the age of 16, I think they may have changed it now, but back then, if you're under the age of 16, for the police to interview you, you had to have a parent or guardian present, uh, present and both... The suspect and the parent guardian had to waive Miranda in order to be interviewed by the police. In addition, they had to be interviewed in a special room that was designated for the interviewing of juveniles so that they weren't uh, sitting with hardened criminals that are older than them, right? So, right. And all those rules were followed, even though um, some people implied that they weren't. I mean... Uh, it's one of the favorite things when people want to lie about police procedure to say, oh, they were interviewed without attorneys present. That is such a false statement because once there's an attorney involved, there is no interview. But they say that to throw the audience off, to make it seem like the police did something wrong. The police did nothing wrong in this incident in the interview and interrogation of these kids. Absolutely not. But um, you're, you're, um, you're anti-crime, but you're a police officer right now. You're, right. gonna, you're collaring these the two guys that are yours, are Raymond Santana and Stephen Lopez. Those are your two collars, right? All three of, all five of them. Oh, so you're taking all five collars. Yeah. All right. So, um, but you're not going to interview them, right? No. You're going to have the squad guys come down and talk to them. Not so yet. So when I brought them in, one of the squad guys walks by because this. Now remember, this is like ten thirty, eleven. You're night. bringing them back to Central Park. Yeah, come back in. to the precinct. Um, I saw one of the detectives, and he said to me, you didn't see me. What <laughs> a wow. I was like, that's Central Park. All right. You. All right. Okay. Because he didn't want to get involved, right? Right. Yeah. It's going to be a long it's one. It's typical of the... So, um, uh, obviously, 
He has no idea what this is all about. No, he this just does, looks. He wants something to do with already? it. Already? I don't think he. No, he. The magnitude of this, I don't nothing. think he knows. It was nothing at that. It was point. an assault right. of one okay. person in the park. It was. Uh, it was five a juvenile curves. collar, and that's all it was. And right. my, juvenile collars are a pain in the ass, right? Oh my Why? lord! There's so much paperwork. I mean, it, they gave. There's a picture of me. You can find it uh, online. Uh, carrying the packets while I'm walking one of them out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's an entire packet for each person that you arrest, and there's like 15, 20 documents you gotta you right. gotta fill out, you know, and you gotta fill out uh, when you're gonna be on vacation in the next few months, you know, you gotta fill out uh, just, just all sorts a lot of, of notifications stuff. to juvenile notif- ju- juvie court. Well, that's the other thing. Finding out where they're going to be lodged. The charge is one of, that qualifies them to be a juvenile offender. The, the case is going to be tried in uh, juvie court, right? Well, uh, here's, uh, corporation counsel right. and not the, the Supreme Court. Right. But, but here's the, the problem. Here's the problem. They're juveniles. We're going to give them back, recog them back to their parents. Mm-hmm. Now, if, uh, if a parent doesn't show up, Right, that kid's got to go to Spofford, Spofford yes. and they have to go. They have to be brought to family court that morning, eight a.m. So now, if you have multiple arrests, right, and there's five kids, four sets of parents come in, you know, that and one of them don't. One of the kids' parents don't show up, and that kid has to go to Spofford. All of the other kids, even though you've released them to their parents, they too have to come back to family court at eight a.m. In the morning, yeah. So when the parents came, all of the parents came with the exception of Stephen Santana's, mm-hmm. uh, Raymond Santana's father. Mm-hmm. And um, people and people were, they were getting anxious. They were like, come on, we want to take our kids and go. Mm-hmm. I said, well, look, you can do that. You can go. But the problem is because Stephen's, uh, Raymond Santana's father's not here, um, uh, you have to be back in court tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. So mm-hmm. if you've got work or school or any type of anything, it's gonna, you're going to have to cancel it for, you know, to take your kid to court. I said, now, if we wait, if you could just bear with me and wait till we can get um, Raymond Santana's father, mm-hmm. get him to come down here, then I can give you all you know, an appearance ticket. You can come back in a month and, you know. Well, that was your intentions. That was my intentions. Yeah, so, because at this point right now, the, all you got is the one assault. Right. So we're waiting. We, and I had made contact with his father. His father was, father, did, we spoke to him. It wasn't like we couldn't reach him. We spoke to him and he wouldn't come down. He would say he was coming and then he wouldn't show up. So um, in the meantime. How many hours are we talking about? He didn't come. He didn't get there till around seven in the morning. And what time did you start calling him? As soon as we got to the precinct. Nine, oh, I was trying to bang 10 o'clock at night? 10. Yeah, I was trying to bang out that paperwork because there was so many of them. Uh-huh. And they sent my partner home, um, you know, to keep from... Uh, they didn't want to pay him overtime. No overtime. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. The, the dirty word Isn't in the police department. Once again, not knowing what this, the magnitude right. of this case is, and you're getting... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm by myself You're getting rid of a, a cop that could help you. The overtime yeah. monster. They don't want to pay oh overtime. Yeah. All right, so... So now, um, when, when does this thing start, like you start dawning on you, like, holy shit, this is, this is something else. It, it didn't until, um, when the midnight crew turned out, uh, two cops, Bobby Calame and, uh, Joe Walsh 
stopped at uh, 102nd Street in Central Park West, the Cross Drive, to have coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, have a cup of coffee. You're going to be up all night, you know. Mm -hmm. So while they're waiting, a couple of guys come walking out of the woods, and they approach him, and they say, listen, there's a man's body down there in the, in the ravine. And it was it was a jogger. They thought she, they thought she was a man, mm -hmm. you know, because she's got a very slim build mm -hmm. uh, because she runs. And anyway, long story short, she gets removed to um, Metropolitan Hospital. Night Watch responds. Uh, the Night Watch detectives find out that I had locked up these kids for wilding in the park, mm -hmm. right? And then it was an even larger group. Just just go back to that to that word wilding. Yes, that was not. A word that I used back then. I was no. in, I was in citywide anti crime. I've done three and a half years. We used to use the word wolf packs. That yeah. there were huge groups of, uh, and then the city invented a more palatable word called disorderly groups to describe them. So the word wilding was invented by who? That was their word. That's what they called it. The kids. We're going wilding. Right. Okay. It was a yes. That was. It's not what a they word called. that you created. No. No. Uh, contrary to, to Ken Burns' lie uh, that we made it up to make it sound worse, no. That, that was theirs. Um, and, what, and what did that mean to you? What, what was explained to you? What did the word wilding mean? Just rampaging. Just rampaging. Which just means what? Assaulting people, breaking things, you know, just rioting. Okay. Basically rioting. So, um... So you're they, saying that, um... The, the first time that you started having an inkling, a feeling that this is much bigger than, uh, this is going to be bigger than this original case is um, because those two guys, those two officers, um, they were sitting in a, in, a, in a marked car and they were uh, approached by, uh, by some witnesses that said they saw a man's body. Turns out right. to be um, a woman's body. Right. Down. Down what? Down, a, the, down in the ravine on 102nd okay. Street. All right. So I guess they went to go check it out. Right. So they check it out. Ambu they call an ambulance. She's removed to Metropolitan Hospital. Night Did you watch see come. the body at that point? No. 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 I didn't, I didn't even know of it. I mean, the person. She's alive. Right. Barely, though. Yeah. But, but the right. description she is... Likely, she was likely to die at that, that time when it, when it... When they first discovered her. Yeah. I mean, the reports, uh, the injuries that she suffered was, uh, I think it was like 80% blood loss. Yeah. Um, I think the damage... The, if I remember correctly, one of her eyes, the, the, from the blow to the head, one of her eyes came out of the socket. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. And her head was smashed plenty of t uh, several several times. Yeah. Skull fracture. Um, so when she was lying, um, barely clothed. Yeah, it was. In the, in the she, ravine there. She was laying in mud. Mm -hmm. What it was, it was very muddy and there was a stream nearby. So the, the cold water and the cool mud surrounded her head and kept her brain kept her brain from swelling oh, within wow. her cranium that's that's what saved her life wow that wow. that was the only thing that saved her life she would have she would have died if, if it weren't for that if it weren't for those conditions where she was found well that's interesting so but anyway the um, night watch respond responded to the hospital when they found out what i had they called up the desk and told them to tell me not to release them until night watches had a chance to interview each one of the kids, but they wanted to interview me first. So I went to the crime scene. I spoke to the detectives and I was specifically told, um, they said, listen, we don't think it was, we don't think it was them. This doesn't look like something, you know, that kids would have done. 
They said, um, but because they were in the park at the time that this was happening, you know, at the same time in the same location, they would like to interview them before I released them because they may have seen something. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe one of the kids saw somebody dragging a woman, you know, off the road or something or, you know, or whatever. So, and this, of course, as you guys know, this is a common investigative technique where you debrief prisoners who were, you know, arrested in the same area that a, a violent crime has taken place. Of course. So, um, I went back and started, you know, trying to finish up the paperwork. And that's finally when Stephen, uh, when Raymond Santana's father showed up. Because we called up his sister. The sister didn't show up. Then we called up the grandmother. The grandmother said she would come and she was going to, you know, get a cab. And we're like, no, don't take a cab. We're going to send a car to get you. Because we're not taking any chances. No one else right. was going to come. I was like, I got to get out of here. That's good for going. a guardian, the grandmother? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, does, it doesn't matter because when the radio car came back with the grandmother, the father came along also. Mm-hmm. But if he didn't show up, the grandmother's good enough. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless she's like senile. Or- so I'm trying to get this picture in my head right now. You mentioned the juveniles, they have to be separated. So all throughout the precinct here, there's five rooms, and inside one of those rooms is going to be one of these kids that was collared plus his parents. No, no, it was different. In, um, we had a separate building. Central Park had a separate administrative building mm-hmm. from the rest of the station house, and that was our designated juvenile room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, that had actually, that building had just two rooms in it. Okay. So one room had, where the entrance was to get in, to, to go in or go out, uh, was where all the parents were with their kids. So they were all sitting in the same room? Mm-hmm. And they could all talk to each other? Yeah. Even the kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, we're talking about for hours. Yeah. Well, I, they, they did have stuff to say while they were there. Uh, one of the things, uh, I heard Raymond Santana tell them, tell the other kids was that they were going to Spofford and if they uh, if they did go to Spofford uh, that they would all stick together and fuck everybody up mm-hmm. and I just kind of looked at them like what the fuck is wrong with this kid mm-hmm. you know I mean and, uh, and and this is in passing you're going from one room to the other paperwork stuff like that or you're yeah. sitting at was, a desk no, somewhere sitting there just doing the so paperwork. you're sitting in the same room with the parents and the and the no that was before the parents got there okay that was okay. with parents. And before the parents got there, my partner, Bobby, said to them, why are you guys out here beating people up? You, you should be with your girlfriends getting some. Mm-hmm. And Santana looked at Lopez and started laughing. And he goes, yeah, we already got ours. Mm-hmm. So, and we didn't, know, we didn't know what that meant. But then later on. Well, actually, the, the exact language he used, according to the fine law report, was he goes, I got mines. Right. Mm-hmm. right. That was the exact that, language That was the used. only statement, by the way, that was suppressed. Right. By Judge Galligan. Because it was asked without... Uh, yeah, it, it was asking about their criminal behavior. Right, yeah. yeah, but what... Ha- um, so... They, then uh, juveniles are not responsible for, uh, what's it called, spontaneous utterances? Well, it wasn't spontaneous. It was in the yes, response though. to a question. Oh, but the que- oh, the question is, why were you guys robbing out... Th- why are you guys fighting, robbing out there? Yeah. And you should be getting some... And the, so the question was directed towards their criminal behavior, the reason okay. they were arrested. Okay, all right. Um, anyway, so night watch comes, Lopez's father is there. Oh, and I got to back up during the night. Just so we know night watch for our our listeners who aren't, they don't have night watch if they're uh, on the job somewhere else or night watch is our detectives that 
work midnight to eight in the morning. And they cover the entire borough of New Yeah, rather than keeping every single detective the way you keep around-the-clock cops, um, men, guys in uniform, detectives, they're not, most of the time they're not needed between those hours. So they keep a small group of detectives called Night Watch, and those guys are the guys that will interview or um, uh, do investigations on cases that happen sometime after midnight and before 8 in the morning. Right. So, so Night Watch into, is, is so into... Night Watch is finally ready to come interview these kids, and I'm, uh, I've got all the parents there. Everything is all set. So we get the first kid in the room, and it's, uh, I believe it's Clarence Thomas. So it's Clarence Thomas, his mother, myself, and two Night Watch detectives. Mm-hmm. They, read, they read them their rights. They read their rights to, uh, to him and to his mother. They both agree to answer questions. So they asked him, well, what oh, happened? So they waved Miranda. They, yes. They both waved Miranda. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they asked him, well, what, what happened in the park last night? And the, the answer was, well, I was in the park. I was with these guys. They were beating people up. I saw what happened, but I didn't touch anybody. And then the detectives asked him, well, did anything else happen? You know? Mm-hmm. And they were like, no. And he goes, okay, no problem. And he said, he told me, give him a desk appearance ticket. So I give him the ticket. Okay. Goodbye. We get the next kid in. Um, Lamont McCall, same thing. He comes in with his mother. His, his rights are read to him. They waive their rights. They say they're willing to talk. They asked him what happened. He said he was with a bunch of guys who were beating people up, but he didn't touch anybody. And did anything else happen? Anyone else get assaulted? No. Okay. They tell me, give him a desk appearance ticket. Now he's gone. Now the third kid is Kevin Richardson. So Kevin Richardson comes in with his mother, it's the exact same thing. I was in the park with a bunch of guys. They were beating people up. I was just watching, but I didn't touch anybody. But the difference is he had a scratch on his face. And one of the detectives asked him, he said, where did you get the scratch? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and he, at first he said it was my partner, Bobby. He said, Bobby did it, you know, scratched his face when he was arresting him. And the detective said to him, listen, you better be telling the truth because uh, Powers is next door. I'm going to go ask him. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, what's his name? Kevin Richardson kind of put his head down and he goes, it was the jogger. The female jogger did it. And it was like, it was like shocking. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody just like was kind of stunned for a second because we were absolutely not expecting this. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't think that it was them. Um you know, we were hoping they would give us good information, possibly as to you know what it, what had what had occurred. But when he said that, it was like, oh shit! Now what do we do? You know, the other two kids left. That's right. Now what? So now we got to go arrest, go back out and get them. We also got to go get um, Clarence Thomas. I mean, not Clarence Thomas. I'm sorry, um, Antron McRae. Antron McCray had come with his mother in the middle of the night. And for whatever reason... How old was Antron? I think he was 14. 14. They came into the precinct and, you know, like if this was some kind of rush to judgment, he was right there. We could have just arrested him. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have anything on him, Mm -hmm. you know? So we, we just let him go. We said, go ahead, you know? Why did he show up there? Because he just to see what was going on, he was curious I, if they're mentioning him. I guess so. He probably told his mother that he was involved in something, and some of his friends got arrested. 
Yeah. And uh, rather than have the cops come to the house, he figured, let's go check it out just in case. Like, probably Is was... that what happened? That's that's my assumption. I, I mean, only he really knows. But you didn't you didn't collar him. No. You had nothing on him. You let him go. No. But now now we had to go um, to go. Get, we had to go get him and we had to get the other two. Mm-hmm. So now they had detectives from Nightwatch go get the other two because we had Polaroid pictures of what, them. What time is it right now? It's about eight, nine in the morning. So there's a new shift of detectives. You got Manhattan North yes. Homicide Squads working. Yes. They're going to get the big guns coming to, into this case now, right? Yes. Yep. So they had me and um, someone from Nightwatch, a Nightwatch detective and a special victims detective, Irma. In fact, Irma, Irma Rivera. Rivera. Yeah. So uh, we go to Antron McRae's apartment to get him. And I'm the only one that knows what he looks like. We have no pictures of him or anything. Mm-hmm. I had seen him earlier in the night. When we get to the apartment, we knock on the door, and I remember it like it was yesterday. There's uh, his mother, his father, and him, you know, right there. And the detective told him, listen, we'd like to talk to you back at Central Park, you know, precinct about what happened last night in the park. Mm-hmm. So the parents were like, yeah, okay, no problem. And you see, now, I wasn't a detective at the time, and I, I would not have thought of it, but the detective from Nightwatch uh, said, well, wait, before we go, can you have Antron put on the clothes he was wearing last night? Mm-hmm. So I was, I was kind of like, you know, like kind of curious as to like why. But again, I wasn't a detective. Right. I, didn't, I didn't understand the, uh, you know... Blood the values and all, yeah. yeah. Right. So he goes into the room, goes into his bedroom, comes back out five minutes later. He's wearing a matching um, sweatsuit that is covered on the front of it from top to bottom with dried mud. So now you got to ask yourself a question. How does he get dried mud on the front of his jogging suit unless he's laying on something that's muddy mm-hmm. face down? which would be the jogger who was completely covered in mud mm-hmm. from the attack. And he's muddy from getting on top of her. I can't believe that he went in the room and put that same outfit back on. Like, I, uh, I, I would have pictured him like just pretending like, nah, I was wearing this. But he did it. He put the same outfit back on, and now yes. you're all heading back to uh, Central Park. Yeah. What happens then? Um, well, then... Uh, now um, the homicide squad gets there, and so now we got a lot the more heavy people. Guns. Yeah, <laughs> and we got the press is up there. The, the press is up up our ass. Does the press know what happened yet? They know that a woman was attacked and nearly killed, and probably sexually assaulted. Um, I don't recall exactly what they knew at that at that point in the investigation. You know, that's uh, just to put a little. Um Adding, and that's where sometimes the police department is its own worst enemy. A, a sensitive case like this, giving information out to the press that can compromise the case, and, and they do it all the time. There's always, there's always that one guy that's got to say something to the press, usually yeah. the one who's the least involved. Right, he you know, calls just, his little hook at the post or whatever. Yeah. But, no, but actually, sometimes it comes right from the chief of D's office. They give them too much information. Yeah. Give us an idea of what the what it looks like outside Central Park Command. Inside the park, you got your precinct there. Oh. What does it look like right now? What time of the day is it? It's early morning. It's like eight, nine in the morning, and it's just jam packed. 
It's jam-packed with with news uh, vehicles, outside with police of it. cars. Yeah, I used to hate that when I was coming into work, and I would see all the news vans in, in front of the precinct, and you know something went on, and it's it's not going to be my day, no matter how, what I had planned. To throw that to the side, yeah, because I'm going to be involved in investigating this case. Now, Eric, let me just ask you something. I know you know I've worked you know hundreds of, of major cases and big big investigations. Who was running this investigation? What what ranking officer at that point sal blando captain he was captain, captain from the bureau okay yeah and then was there a briefing of all the new people that had come in for eight o'clock in the morning shift was was everyone briefed as to what oh, had yeah. occurred the night before sure. who conducted that briefing oh i don't recall that but because that's really important that's yeah. really important so you get everyone up to speed so people know what the hell they're looking at yeah because i what happened was um at some point, the bosses grabbed me, and I was being debriefed by um, the chief of detectives and um, a couple of other Who people. Who was the chief of detectives back then? Do you Actually, remember? it was the Manhattan chief of detectives, uh, Aaron Rosenthal. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. He'd, uh, he sat me down, and I had to give him, uh, you know, an update of what had occurred yeah. from your point of view. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would imagine now we're going to start re-interviewing these kids. Right. And what happened was that it, these kids, they had varying degrees of familiarity with each other. So some kids knew other kids by their first and last names. Some kids knew other kids by nicknames. Some kids knew other kids by, you know, they go to uh, PS, whatever school they go to. You know, it, it was like that. And the detectives would go, like, we got those first three or four. Mm-hmm. Interview them, get another three or four names, go out and get them, get them, get another three or four names from them. And it just kept going like that in, in drips and drabs, getting, you know, getting people as they're being identified by other co-defendants. And then what created the bottleneck was they were all juveniles. So the only place you can interview them is the juvenile room. So it's not like you could take them to different rooms in the, in the right. precinct and, and interview them separately. Because that's the law. They had to that's interview the law. these rooms. Yeah. So before the all these interviews, these kids are still sitting in that area with their parents. Yeah. Basically able to talk to each other. Yeah. And who knows, maybe even create a story. That's correct. But now, because Central Park was so, uh, it was so packed and we were, you know, really didn't have enough room. A decision was made to go to the 2-0, where sex crimes was. So we go to the sex crimes uh, And moving office. the whole operation to the 2-0. Everything goes to the 2-0, until <clears throat> Liz Letterer finds out that there might be some issue with the, uh, the 2-0 precinct's certification for their juvenile room. Who's Liz Letterer? She's the DA that prosecuted the case. Okay. Uh, when you, you had mentioned... It's good the, that she knew that. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially up front before you got there because the whole case could have been thrown out of... That's why we moved to the 2-4. Okay. Because, um, like you said, Bill, you said, you know, uh, you have to interview them in a family, uh, in a juvenile room designated by the family court. Right. The family court actually had someone come there and certify it. It's not like we could come and just... Put some tape on it. Yeah. Right. No, they, they go in there and there's a certain criteria so it's, it's for it. It's taken very seriously. 
Very and seriously. Any boss, sergeant, lieutenant, captain is going to know if you don't have the juvenile in the juvenile room, that's a no-no. And that's where he is or she is to be interviewed. That's and, correct. And that's to protect them, keep them away from older prisoners and that's correct. influences that may influence them in a negative way. So now you're in the 2-4 and this is where these uh, interviews are, t- are taking places? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where all the videotaped uh, confessions There's are There's a report. Uh, what's it called, Bill? The Central Park Five? Well, what's it's it the fine law. This is a 43-page uh, report that was done by three attorneys with it's, the help of police. Uh, is that the one you shared with me? Yes, it's the fine law. With the videos? Well, the name. Uh, no, that, there's a new, there's actually a website that's called Central Park 5 joggerattackerscom And it's the way it's spelled, it's Central Park Jogger, not a, there's no, no it's Central Jogger. Central Park 5 Okay, it's the, 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 the number five. Right. Central, Central Park, Park 5 dot com. And, um, and on that website, you can see. All I think it's nine statements. confessions. Yes, all the statements. The only confession yeah. that I, I noticed that wasn't there was um, uh, Salam, right? So what happened with Yusuf Salam was uh, we originally thought he was an adult. He had taken his bus pass and changed his date of birth on it to make it look like he was 16. So um, under the, you know, being under the impression that he was old enough to be interviewed by himself, uh, Tommy McKenna... Uh, I don't know if you know Tommy. North Homicide School, yeah. first grade detective, right? So Tommy's interviewing him, and um, and he's you know he's he's getting stuff from him. Then his mother shows up at the precinct, mm-hmm. and he's got a big brother, uh, not an actual brother, but a, you know from the Big Brother program, uh-huh. like a mentor type of thing, who was a U.S. attorney, and um, the mother. It's a good big brother to have. Yeah. Well, he's he's it's a conflict of interest for him to have gotten involved. He got into a lot of trouble for for going there and getting in, getting involved in the disinvestigation. He's, yeah, he shouldn't have. Uh, no, he's not a, a lawyer for hire. He's not a defense attorney. What is he no. doing there? Exactly. So, I mean, in hindsight, you want to look out for your family. For, you're his big brother. But that's a That's a. Well, the kid, uh, the mother was arguing with, with Linda Fairstein that his mother should be there with him to be interviewed. And Linda said, no, no, uh, that he doesn't have that right. He's an adult. He's 16. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, he's 15. And she goes, no, we got identification. You know, his identification shows him as 16 years old. And then she had to run home and get a birth certificate. And sure enough, mm-hmm. and Tommy McKenna questioned him on, he says, listen, your birth certificate says you're you're 15, and mm-hmm. why does your bus pass say that you're 16? Mm-hmm. He said, "Well, he did that to impress the girls," and so he they had <laughs> to funny. stop. They had to stop the interview at that point. So it's funny what and, used to impress. What, what could pass for impressing girls when you were young? And did his <laughs> not 15? I'm agreed? 16. His what? mother then agreed for him to be interviewed. Or no, she didn't. No. Okay. No, that was the end of it. That's why there's no video. Okay. Okay. So. Um, at this point right now, we got a homicide, and they're, they're interviewing these kids. And it's probably the what we see on, well, I mentioned the Central Park Five uh, uh, jogger attackers. Um, you're seeing interviews, but that's by the district attorney. Liz Litterer. Prior to that interview that she does, there's an interrogation going on that the detectives do. Correct. Okay, and during those interrogations... Um, 
I would imagine that uh, this is where we start putting, obviously, the pieces of the story back together because there's so many different players, so many of these kids that were involved. And it seemed to me from looking at all the stuff that I, that, that I uh, researched that um, they may not, they're all kind of sort of mentioning themselves and then like three other kids and then they usually use one kid different or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's never really quite, nailed down as far as I could see the five people they all agree it was five of them it's always like four of them and then one extra and then the other kid will tell his story and then it'll be three that match and then one extra think of it think of it as like a virus you know and it how it mutates how it breaks apart and then it you know it multiplies and then it comes together and forms a larger one I mean these kids were remember they're running through the park there's cops looking for them you can see the police cars long before the police cars can see you you could see the headlights way a long distance Mm -hmm. away you're in the as soon as you see the headlights is what they were doing was they would just run into the bushes Mm -hmm. and hide so if you think about it yeah three or four of them are together the police car would come they would split up a few would go one way a few would go the other way Mm -hmm. and yeah you were with one guy you know a couple of minutes ago but now after the cops go you're with another group of guys because you you know because you guys split off and you're going in a a different direction the kid you collared raymond santana from what i've all the stuff bill i'm sure will agree seems like he was the ringleader yeah like he was the one that put this together apparently um he put out word at school it sounds to me like this kid was probably uh, one of the more popular kids in the neighborhood at least he could navigate in a way between several different groups because the way i saw it was that he knew one kid from one group a couple of kids from another group a couple of kids from another group and he went and told all these kids yo tonight we're gonna go wilding in the park Mm mm-hmm which they, by the way, they did on a regular basis. Oh, okay. We, you know, we've what, seen it before. What's interesting, at least right. from when we cut to the chase, is that he says in um, in the interview with Liz Letterer, he was naming at least I don't know eight to ten kids by names, and some of them mm-hmm. by what they were wearing. Mm-hmm. But when you see him now in these documentaries, he claims he knew no one. Mm-hmm. He didn't know any of them. Which is, yeah. uh, look, that's not even close to being believable. But these documentary people, they don't. They just, tr- they omit the truth by omission, basically. They just leave stuff out. Oh, how about his interview with a district attorney who was a five foot two and 120 pounds? He admitted to, by name, identify eight or 10 kids that were with him that night. But now he doesn't know, he didn't know any of them. Well, as the story goes on and we're getting these, um, these interviews, how do, how do we get to the five? How does the, those five... They're the five that <clears throat> they're the five that there's enough evidence to charge. There's enough witnesses saying that they did it, and they said that they did it themselves. What I noticed that through watching the confessions, um, the reason why they're the five is was each one of those five kids put themselves there at the rate. Right. The one kid, Stephen Lopez and Clarence Thomas, they don't they deny being there. Mm-hmm. So yes. they weren't charged. Correct. Now, uh, when you when you listen to the kids being interviewed, the five, sometimes one kid will bring up Clarence, another kid will bring up um, Stephen Lopez. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than one kid, I think, brings up Stephen Lopez. But because he denied being there, as far as I can tell, that's the only reason why he wasn't charged. Yeah. 
All right, that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, when he when he, I understand like uh, all this whatever they're bending over backwards to make these guys, you know, seem like they were innocent. But <laughs> at the end of the day, they're the ones who did the confessions. Now, were the confessions coerced? That's what seems like the that's what seems like the whole argument is that these kids were kept longer than they should have been. Um, that the confessions were coerced, but. This is the second chance they have to tell the story. The first time was when they were interviewed by the detectives. And the second time they tell the story is to the, the ADA. Mm-hmm. She's basically referencing the statements that, the, that these kids originally made in front of their parents to the detectives. Right. All right. Well, Eric, when you also say, so let's, for argument's sake, let's say that they didn't do uh, the rape of the jogger. Let's say just for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. There were seven or eight other attacks, that, including an assault one, maybe even if you really stretch it, an attempted murder, but certainly an assault one on the Jaga Lagrin. Absolutely. And their behavior that night uh, in these other attacks does not make them innocent kids. No. No, not at all. Not in the least. Well, that's one of the things that's conveniently uh, not talked about in any one of these interviews is what about the others? Okay, there's not one question that goes, okay, if you weren't involved in the rape, um, what about the other people that were assaulted that night? Because that, the, the guy that you mentioned, his head was split wide open. Lockley, he had a yeah. lot of damage to him, too. There was another... The, Permanent the, damage, I, I believe. The homeless guy, they got, sure. they got beat up. Um, he wasn't okay either. And there was no. another kid who sat on a rock and ate his food. So you had a lot of different players and, and and things going on and a lot of stories that were so so similar like they all give a perfect description of how that homeless guy gets beat up they all um most of them talk about the tandem bike list uh, that, that that um that went by that they tried they ran after and somehow they managed to wiggle their way through they talk about um the male jogger um and they all have those stories in common where it all separates is when you start talking about the female jogger um, I mean, one of the things that's the most disturbing is when you watch the interview with Raymond Santana and he's talking about he grabbed a titty. If you watch the interviews, the, the interrogations, it's like, well, at this point right now, she's just interviewing him based on the interrogation. But he says, I grabbed the titty. And he describes one of the other kids as raping her. And they all kind of sort of describe one other kid as raping her. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the story gets even more crazy um these kids wind up what happens to them after this obviously they they get locked up right what happens oh they get locked up they go to jail they do their time um where, where were during, you in the court system in this when did, did you have to go to court all the time and testify oh, yeah how many times uh, i couldn't even count I were all these count. kids being tried together or separately uh the first five were tried together i think there was like three trials and then the rest put out. All right. So you had the first five that were getting charged with the rape. And then the other two trials were assaults on the, um, the jockers. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I would just like to add, with the first trial, because I, I, um, Ken and Sarah Burns completely misrepresented this, we had the DNA during the first trials. Every, everybody knew about it. The, the prosecution had it. The judge was aware of it. The defense had it. The news knew about it. Everybody knew 
That well, shame we had, on us. We know, didn't paint a picture of that. When we talk about what was the rape, let's let's what was um, what was the rape? Tell us what what you know. What's documented about the actual rape? She's a jogger. She's running. What happens? Um, apparently, they ambushed her. A bunch of a group of kids. They ran out of the bushes. Ran out of the bushes. Attacked her. Were beating her. Dragged her. Uh, you know, dragged her off the road. Um, they all look. They all said the same thing, that they couldn't sexually perform. perform. They couldn't penetrate her. They couldn't get erections, mm-hmm. which makes total sense. Um, you know, a bunch of 14, 15 year old kids are in the middle of Central Park outside in the middle of the night with another 20, 30 other kids that they don't know, mm-hmm. beating the life out of some woman that they don't know. Uh, you know, like who? Of course, they're not going to get an erection. Of course, they're not going to be able to perform. You know, who's going to be able to perform under those circumstances? The guy who raped his mother, the guy who raped, tortured, and murdered a pregnant woman in front of her two children. And we're Mateus talking about Reyes. what's his name? Mateus Reyes. Mateus Reyes. So of course his, of course his, you're going to find his semen because he's, you know, he's disinhibited. He doesn't, he doesn't have a conscience. He doesn't that that sort of thing. Doesn't, None of the other kids describe this guy. Mateus is being on the scene. Do you think he was? He was the same age at, as they were at the time. Yeah, and you think he's, he's part uh, of the group. Absolutely. And why? Why wouldn't any one of the kids mention him? I don't think they knew him by name. Well, I think. Could there have been a fear? Could he have been the craziest? No. Other group. Wasn't, no. Was, he was no. older than them. Wasn't he eighteen? He was a little bit. Years? He was a little bit older than them. He was a little bit of a, a loner. He was an oddball. Um, he. Um, but he did go wilding. He said it himself. I, he said he used to go wilding all the time. You mentioned earlier that this isn't the first time these kids have gone wilding. Yeah. So they, they made statements to that fact that um, this isn't the first time that we've done this before? No, we used to, we used to see it when we would drive home after 4 to 12. Because uh, after a certain time, the park would close down. Mm-hmm. And when we would leave the park to go home, we would drive through the drive... What time does the park close? Now I forgot. But I know on a, at the end of a four to twelve, it would be the roads would be closed, and mm-hmm. we would you know we would drive. Most along. Clo- most parks close at like nine o'clock, right? Yeah, I would imagine maybe it's because it's Central Park they stay open maybe a couple more hours. I, I that I don't remember, but I do remember there they used to put obstacles in the road. So that if you were driving through, you would like crash into a gate or garbage cans or shit like that. And who the kids would do that? The the kids who would go wilding? Yeah. Now, when we talk about the kids who go wilding, we're not. It might not be this group. There's plenty of other groups of kids that could have gone wilding too, right? It might have been the other wilding group. I don't know. Well, they could have also intersected. <laughs> oh, you know? I, yeah. But I I know it was there was people wilding. Prior to it that happened. incident. It has happened. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know what was a, a piece of evidence that I didn't know about it? I read about it in the fine law report was three of them had semen on their clothing. Mm-hmm. One of them was on his jacket. Another one had it in his underwear. And another one had it on the sleeve of his... Uh, yeah, but I, like I, I told Bill... I never knew that before. I told Bill. I mean, these yeah. are teenage boys, man. They're probably, you know, without... You know, they're probably taking care of it themselves. They're probably masturbating on a regular basis if it's their own. And we've all been there. And most of the time, you don't even know where it goes. I mean, I'm making a joke about it lightly, but it's it's a way to explain it. You can explain that. 
You know, it's kind of hard to explain that her DNA wasn't on them. Well, they you know don't what I'm know saying? Not a hair, not one hair. Had, a couple of them had hair consistent with her hair, and I don't know if it ever got tested. Okay. Uh, so I'm just playing look, dev- devil's advocate here. In 1989, here. the evidence collection was as sophisticated as it is now because DNA yeah. was a new thing. Mm-hmm. People weren't immediately thinking DNA. Uh, I think um, Santana had blood on his sneakers also. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I don't know if any of these things were tested, but I'm sure none of these things I'm suggesting were bringing up now or mentioned in any of these documentaries i want to get back to the court so you're going to court quite a bit and you're testifying do you see anything unusual uh do you remember recall anything that was interesting from the court proceedings just that um just that they they had uh, what we called their supporters and it, it was did you find that tough to believe yeah yeah, it, it was... How many supporters would you say? Uh, there's a lot. Yeah. There was a lot. Who was the head of the support? Did the, the supporter group have a head? A Al leader? Sharpton, you know, the usual suspects. Okay, so Al Sharpton, when did he, when did he become part of this uh, scenario? Uh, that I don't recall. That but he was at the courts? Yeah. He was outside making statements? I, I remember something about him... Uh, having some comment i think al sharpton outed the identity of the jogger and you know that's policy in the new york city police department never to reveal the name of a rape victim right but he that's outed right. her name to the i think press. her name appeared in, in one newspaper to amsterdam often amsterdam, uh, as many times as you could possibly mention it I, i'm not i don't know why what's the well initially the amsterdam the news protected her identity yeah but why what's the point of mentioning her constantly i'm curious like what, because, what what's the benefit of that just, just to be a scumbag. To ruin her life? That's all. I mean, you're adding, uh, if, you, if now with social media, you could probably look it up. But if anything, you're humanizing the person then, if you give mm-hmm. her name. It's not a, a, a Jane Doe. Now, all of a sudden, you know, obviously, you got social media now. So you can just go and look at their Facebook page, and now you can humanize it. You can say, wow, this girl. But back then, at least there's a name attached to it. So I'm not sure if that's the smartest thing in the world, but apparently that newspaper thought that they were, they were really zinging somebody by constantly mentioning her name in their articles. Yeah. So you're going down there to court, and you said uh, you started noticing that they, they had a lot of supporters. Yeah. And, and, and what were the, those people supporting? What, what did they think? Um, well, first it was uh, there was no jogger. The jogger doesn't exist, and we just made it up so that we could railroad these kids. Then, uh, then they started. The, the new lie was um, that she wasn't attacked by them. Uh, it was her ex-boyfriend that attacked her. He had to. He had to give DNA mm-hmm. just to disprove that. To disprove that lie. Um, there was just one thing after another, and um, I remember one of the one of the lawyers went on Hot ninety seven, and. <laughs> I don't know why, but he said that I had perjured myself on the stand and that the uh, Manhattan District Attorney's Office was going to lock me up for perjury. Mm-hmm. So now my phone, I'm getting ready to do a, a 8 to 4, and my phone's ringing off the hook. And, you know, uh, people are like, hey, Eric, you all right? What's what's going on, man? We heard, you know, mm-hmm. thing about this perjury. I'm like, what? Who, who said that? And then when they told me the name of the attorney, I was like, oh, he's full of shit the fuck out of here perjury perjure this fucking idiot how long did the trial last uh it was a while 
It was a while. It weeks, was a month, couple of weeks at least. It was a long time ago. I mean, eighty nine. It's uh, yeah, it's thirty years ago. Yeah, it's. I know it was. It was a while, and it was very uncomfortable, man. It was a very surreal experience because, you know, I'm used to testifying in court, but then you had the added dimension of there's five defendants. And now you've got five attorneys going at you, one after the right, other, right, after right. the how other. Long the the, other. Uh, how long were you testifying for at times? Was it four or five hours? Or? A couple of days. Really? I was oh, on so so come back days. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Officer then, Reynolds, we'll see you tomorrow at 8 a.m. Yeah. Pick up where we left off. And add to that. Every news person that you you know that you're used to watching on TV, mm-hmm. they're sitting out there looking at you mm-hmm. and listening to every word that's coming out of your mouth. And there's an audience there too of the supporters. And there's an audience, yes. And um, I remember at one point, all of a sudden, I said something. I forgot what it was, but all the news people just got up and ran out. So I was like, oh shit, what? the fuck did did i I say say? yeah (laughs) i was like for for a second i was just like it completely threw me off Mm -hmm. and then i realized it was uh i think it was after three o'clock it was by a certain time they got to get their their report in Mm -hmm. so that's all it was was their deadline yeah i hadn't said anything but you got a little nervous i was sweating bullets man i was like oh shit what did i say i i knew i couldn't have said anything that was you know I mean, I'm telling you the truth, so right, sure. what, what, you know, what, what could possibly be? You were the initial officer um, on the scene there with uh, Raymond Santana, supposed ringleader, from uh, all the things that I, I read. They peg him as being the ringleader. Do you remember anything, um, maybe not so much what he said, but just his mannerisms or the way he carried himself? Was he a typical 14-year-old kid, or did he no. seem older, younger? No, he was... He was, uh, you know, he was a hard kid, and he was, you know. Uh, you know, one of the other I, kids said something that I thought was really interesting. He goes, because um, I, w- I was interested about the uh, the head count, the 30. Like, how do, how do you know, like, you know, I'm doing stand-up. I look in the audience. I don't know whether it's 30 or 100. I can't tell. So I'm like, and every kid kept saying 30 of us inside in their testimonies with the district attorney. So I'm like, how do they know it was 30? But then one kid says, Raymond took a head count. Mm-hmm. And then it started making sense because if you're the kid who's putting all this together, okay, and before you're going to go in the park, you actually go out of your way to take a head count. Maybe as a pat on the back, look what I put together. Look how yeah. many people came out for me. Oh, sure. You know what I'm saying? These kind of things mean something to, you know, these it's kids at that army. age. Yeah. It's almost your own army made of all mutants. But So that's how, uh, that's how come, you know, that, that made sense to me at that point. That Yeah. Did he strike you? But one of the kids, the kid, I think it was Steven Lopez, um, they were like, was Raymond in charge? He was like, he thought he was. Which automatically, it just gives you a little insight into the mindset at this time. There's already a power struggle, yeah. or one brewing. It's a gang, and um, and this one kid is taking charge, and there's another kid right behind him thinking, ah, I could do a better job than this. Mm-hmm. It's like a dog pack. It's like yeah, a pack and it's, of wolves. It's the one night and that they're the all alpha. together. It's like almost like. Um, I, I I don't know how to describe it, but it, it means a lot to whatever's going on in that neighborhood because as a team now, as 30, 30 potential people that I can call at a drop of a dime, that's power. 
That's power because if I have beef with somebody, I know that I can, at the drop of it, I could get 30 people here right now. What? You know what I'm saying? And that's yeah. the mentality. And oh, sure. uh, after you go through an experience like that um, of doing the wilding thing and you're attacking civilians, but it kind of sort of, it's like practice for the time that we may have to face a group of 30 other kids. You know what I'm saying? Fighting like that. So that's why, you know, be, I was just thinking like the mindset, you know, like what, what's the mindset of, of, of a kid, you know, putting all this together, yeah. trying to make this happen? Um, you know, what, why? What's the, what's the reason? And that's just, it's hard to explain to somebody the mentality that happens in the hood. Well, I, you know, in that interview I did with ABC, I, I told them, you know, you, you have to understand something. You know, I, I don't understand why so many uh, black people identify with them when they don't represent the black community. You know, most black kids were at home when this happened. Mm-hmm. Most, you know, most black parents know where their fucking kid is at this time. Right. Okay. They're, you know, home doing their homework. They're having dinner. They're doing whatever they're doing. You know, if if this was representative of of the black community, you would have a hundred times more kids out there every night at that time. Yeah, it's a complicated. Um... Now, is there more, you know, of them, you know, out there doing stuff like this than there should be? You know, that's a different argument. But uh, and as far as you know, representing any group, but they don't. I know they don't represent me. They don't re- represent, you know, representative of my family. They're, they're the uh, antithesis of what we're, you know, how we were brought up and how we see things. And we don't, you know, our thing is, you know, look, you, you, want, you want whatever services these kids need to, uh, to make their lives better, to keep them from doing shit like this. Mm-hmm. But as far as defending them for, you know, for uh, committing a, you know, an atrocity like this is there's no defense what happens after this do you go how do you go back to normal i mean you, you know because now you're going down to court regularly on this case and this has to go on for about a year right it was a while because it was first it was the grand jury then there were hearings and then there were the trials and you know the first it, officer on the scene man that's you're you're right in the middle of that all the time it was like it was like being in a hot tub with piranhas in it, and you had to sit there, and they were all Constantly fucking nipping at you. Waiting for you to change your words, your story, mm-hmm. about how it happened. Now, yeah. aren't there lots of people in law enforcement, people that worked on this case, that are dying to speak out? And some of them yes. can't because they still work in law enforcement or for whatever their, what their job is. They they can't. I mean, I know Liz Letterer still works for the Manhattan DA's office. She obviously can't speak out but there's many people that worked on this case that would love to talk because the documentaries really uh by omission just make this these kids seem like you know well let's find out what happened what happens after the fact they they, they go through the trial and what happens after the trial's over yeah they get they get convicted yeah they get convicted they get convicted by a jury by extremely diverse Jury. There was a gay man on there. There were several black people. There were several Spanish people. There were um, a guy who worked for the uh, NAACP. There were there were a bunch of people that were, you know. And we're talking about the first five, the Central Park Five. Yeah. They get convicted. Um, the four of them are juveniles, 
and they wound up getting, I don't know, anywhere from six to seven years, right? Yeah, something like and that. And the one kid, Corey Weiss, he was 16 at the time. So he's doing more time. And somewhere, right. he's in federal prison, and somewhere not around the 13th year, he bumps into... What was the kid's name again? Mateus Mateus Reyes. Reyes. Up at Auburn. Auburn State Prison. And they have a they have a they reunited. Well actually we'll have to we have to back up a little bit because they actually had a confrontation prior to that. In nineteen ninety, Mateus Reyes and Kerry Weiss had a fight on Rikers Island and they claimed it was over watching a TV. When in fact, um, my belief is that uh, Weiss was pissed off that he's charged with the rape, and this guy Reyes got away with it, mm-hmm. and that's why that's why they were fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 1990. That's you know a little less than a year after the, the incident. Yeah, occurred. he's still on Rikers because um, he's going back and back and forth to court. He hasn't been sentenced yet. Right. So and Mateus is there on something else. Right. But now when they... So the supposedly the incident that they got into the fight over in Rikers Island at that time supposedly was over the TV. But what officially. you're saying is that it probably wasn't over the TV and it was probably over the fact that Corey is taking a bullet for this kid, Mateus. Exactly. All right. And then they bump into each other 13 years later. Well, what happened was... Reyes is in one of the more secure, one of the more desirable um, parts of Auburn State Prison. And um, he's, you know, he's got more, he's entitled to more things. He's got less supervision. Why? Um, because he's going to be there longer? Because he's, uh, he's segregated from the rest of the, uh, from the population. Remember, he's, 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 he's a, a rapist. rapist. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's a rapist. He tortured and killed a pregnant woman in front mm-hmm. of her kids. Um, but because of his bad behavior, he was kicked out and put back into general population. Wow. So now once he was out there, um, Harry Weiss was able to reach out to him. Now he could, you know, now he could, now he could threaten him. And um, remember, Kerry Weiss was part of the Nation of Islam and was with the Bloods. Mm-hmm. So he had, he had considerable pull in in jail in prison and they convinced him they convinced him to say that he did it by himself because to be honest with you there's nothing for him to lose he's going to die in jail regardless mm-hmm. regardless of what he admits to he he could admit to killing you know kidnapping and killing the Lindbergh baby right, right. doesn't matter he's he's not going to Wow, that's interesting. Can't give him any more life sentences. And there is the breakthrough out of all this whole thing. Like you just, I just learned that. That's that's amazing. That this kid Corey Weiss was was uh, you said national Islam, probably a blood as well. Yeah. And that um, this kid Mateus, they're probably tell, letting him know. You know, you you should take care of this because what's the difference anyway? He used intermediaries to give the messages to um, to Reyes. Now, when it was being reinvestigated by. Um, by Nancy Ryan. Right. She knew about this. And she about knew. About the, um, the messages going back and forth? She knew who they were. Do they know what the messages were or just that there were messages? That there were messages. And what happened was um, uh, Michael Armstrong's investigators went there to interview. Who's the, that Michael Armstrong? The That's guy. The, this oh, the guy. Right. That's okay. the Armstrong yeah. report. Yeah. All right. So when they went there to interview them, 
those inmates who were passing those messages along from Carrie Weiss to Mateus Reyes told the investigators that the DA's office told them not to speak to anybody, not the FBI, not the CIA, nobody. So why in the world would Nancy Ryan tell these inmates not to talk to detectives investigating, reinvestigating this case? You know, what is she hiding? I've been 20 years on the job and I've made a lot of collars and I've, you know, been to trial numerous occasions. I know for a fact that DAs never tell witnesses not to speak to someone. They'll tell them that, well, a defense attorney's, the defense's investigator is going to come talk to you. You don't have to speak to them if you don't want to, but that's up to you. They never tell them they can't speak right. to them. Why do you think that is? Because they would have told her, they would have told us the truth, which was that they were passing, they were passing threats along to uh, Reyes. And why didn't she want this? Because then it, it messes. I don't get it. Right, because then um, the uh, case doesn't get overturned. Yeah, once they found Matias Reyes's DNA, it was the DA's office really had no other recourse but to drop the the, the case. Is that not correct? Well, what the background in this is, Nancy Ryan hates Linda Fairstein. They are bitter enemies. And when Linda Fairstein uh, retired, when she had her party, now remember, this is Manhattan DA's office. Right. They, their, her retirement party was like the who's who of the Manhattan you know, legal uh, establishment. You know, mm -hmm. There were judges, there was lawyers from prominent law firms and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she goes, and uh, her farewell speech turns into a roast of Nancy Ryan. <laughs> and of Linda Fasting, for those that don't know, she was the head of the sex crimes unit in the Manhattan DA's office. Right. And Nancy so she's Ryan giving a boss. speech at her party. Yes. And she starts making fun of. She outs her for having a extramarital affair with a married DA. <laughs> Was in she, the office. Was she, had she, was she imbibing? Sounds well, to me like something that you do when you get a couple in you. No, no, no. This is a long... This has been... She was telling me stories about it, about different incidents that, that took place between them. Nancy was telling you these stories or Linda? No, no, Linda. She said um, she had a doll. You know, they have the Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. Yeah. So she... Um, I'll just say the name... She she insinuated that she was having a extramarital affair with Dan Rather Jr. Mm -hmm. And they were known around the office as Nan and Dan. <laughs> so with this uh, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, she did this thing called the Nan and Dan show. Mm -hmm. And supposedly it was hilarious. Uh -huh. And I'm sure Nancy Ryan was... The, the Dan and Nan. <laughs> oh, was... So Nancy, this lady Nancy, who's now, she's uh, the head of the sex crimes? Um, uh, in well, a, she in like, no, she, she was, she was above her. She was yeah. just one level under Morgan. Nancy. Yes. yes. But the other one's retiring right now. And this, yeah. the one Nancy, she doesn't want this uh, information getting made public that these, that they was getting threatened. This, uh, Mateus was getting right. threatened. Right. She was doing everything she can for this to go in a certain direction. So they can keep the convictions. Right. No. So they no, can throw they out can the, convictions. the convictions. Oh, so they can drop yes. the convictions. Yeah. yeah. Why am I so confused? When, she wants this info. So, 
She, she, oh, she, she wants to have screw, it that Mateus comes out voluntarily. She wants Not to that destroy Linda Fairstein. She wants to destroy Linda Fairstein's reputation. I mean, yeah, and, stuff. and the only way to there do was that. a detective from Manhattan North Homicide Squad that was at the DA's office and he was interviewing Matthias Reyes and he was getting, he was getting, he was getting somewhere. Nancy Ryan pull, pulled him out of the room and said the interview's over. Well, you know what else she did to him? They, were, they took uh, Reyes to the crime scene, and he was supposed to walk them through it. Now, you tell me, this is one of the biggest cases with huge racial implications, you know, in, in decades. She brings this guy up there to recreate it and doesn't videotape it. None of, it, none of it's videotaped, <laughs> right? Number one. Number two, she told Rob Mooney they were going to be there at a certain time. She came there earlier. Totally fucking blew him off. He didn't even get to, he never got to see what happened. He wasn't there. It was just her, the DA's office, some uh, correction officers escorting Reyes and Reyes himself. Um, Linda Fairstein's an author, right? She writes a series of novels about a fictional female sex crimes DA in Manhattan. So of course, it's loosely based on herself. On her own career, yeah. Yeah. So this fictional DA in the book has a boss who's a real asshole. And she really, you know, and of course, the character's based on Nancy Ryan. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the office knows it. So there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. So Nancy Ryan's trying to overturn this conviction. Yeah. So you're saying to spite Linda. I, that's um, what I believe. I absolutely believe that. And so do a lot of other people. That's interesting. She had one day uh, when it was snowing on, you know, on Hogan Place, the entrance Mm -hmm. to the DA's office right there. So Nan and Dan were having a very public snowball fight. Mm -hmm. And Linda Fairstein was coming out of the building with, with Bob Morgenthau. And when he sees that, he goes, what the fuck? He, and he was pissed off. He was pissed off, and he, when they got back inside the building, he told Linda that she better have a talk with Nancy Ryan, and Linda was like, oh, I really don't want to do that because, A, she's my boss, and B, we don't get along at all, and it's just, you know, it's just going to further exacerbate things, right. but I think Morgenthau himself went to her, to Ryan, and said something, and of course... Ryan's perception is that Linda said something to him, ratted her out, you know, to the boss. And, you know, and over a sensitive subject, you know, (laughs) in the middle of all this, this whole case, there's uh, two, (laughs) two ADAs going tit for tat with each other. This is, it's just amazing. Yeah. A little cat fight. Oh man. Uh, It's yeah. You know, when the human story gets involved in, in these, these other stories, when you really, when you see what's on the outskirts, what's driving a lot of this stuff. So these kids wind up doing their time, and uh, they get out, with the exception of um, that kid who's still in there, Corey Weiss. And now all of a sudden, Mateus comes out of nowhere and says that he was the rapist, that he raped the Central Park jogger. Well, once he gets kicked out of that unit, unit, he claims to have seen Kerry Weiss in. Um in, in the general yard. population, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So now, now, think about this from, from a psychological perspective. Here we have a man who's a bona fide psychopath, mm-hmm. 
Okay. The hallmark of the psychopath is the inability to feel empathy for other people, the lack of a conscience. Yeah. Right? They're just, you know. He's got a history of it. Yeah. So how is it? And the other factor is being in prison, and everybody admits this, is a dehumanizing experience. And if you're mentally ill, prison only exacerbates it. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't make you better. If you're depressed and you go to jail, you're going to be fucking depressed. Yeah. Exactly. What happens? So he goes to jail and he develops a conscience. And he feels bad. He feels bad. But <laughs> All Kerry of a sudden, Weiss. he never felt bad about raping his mother. He never yeah. felt bad about killing the other, the other girls uh, sub next to each other. Report, when he's confronted with the fact that he raped his mother, he said, yeah, that was a tragedy. Yeah. Of course, he can't even admit it. It was a tragedy, he said. A tragedy. So um, now all of a sudden, this kid's got a conscience. He feels bad. So how is he going to unburden himself? He, he confesses to the fact that he says he was the rapist, the only guy who raped her, and he's going to give DNA. And then it yeah. turns no, out... Well, his DNA matched. Right. His DNA well, matched. he's got to give his DNA to prove no, it. No, it's already in there. He's done murders and rapes. <laughs> Yeah, but he, I think he got convicted in the 90s, so I don't know if... if they took DNA back. Yeah, he might, he might predate that. Yeah. Uh, for might, some reason, I have sure. a feeling like I read that he gave up his DNA so they can test it against what was there. Either way, it, it, it matched. matched. It matched. Yeah. So yeah. it turns out he was the rapist. When Liz Letterer gave her closing argument, she told the judge, the jury, everybody, you know, all the spectators, that... There is an unapprehended perp in this case. There is DNA from her. An unidentified person. Yeah. yeah. We don't have everybody. So the closing arguments during the original trial, she made that statement. Yes. Okay. We don't have everybody. There's an un- and it happens. So we knew if, that. If there's a gang rape and, you know, five men rape a woman and two get away. At least five. Then the other Supposedly. three, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Do you let them go because two got away? And Once the DNA matched, what happened? Well, I talked to Linda Fairstein. Linda Fairstein was happy because she says, oh, good. We got, the, we got our unapprehended perp, mm-hmm. you know, finally, after all these years. Okay. And then all of a sudden this convoluted story comes out, yeah, that he claims he did it by himself and he's, you know, and no one else is involved and, you know, who's all, which is all bullshit. Um, the doctor, Dr. Kurtz, who I interviewed myself, uh, told me that, her injuries are not consistent with being attacked by one person. Mm-hmm. Reyes said that he attacked her with a rock and a branch, right? Um, and that was it. She has a jagged-edged wound on her head, right, from a blunt object, like a rock or a branch, oh, just bridge, like yeah. Reyes said. But she also has a straight, uh, a straight laceration, which is made by a by some kind of cutting tool, whether it's a razor, a knife, or, or you know, um, something very sharp. Somebody else was there that, you know, that caused this, this wound on the top of her mm-hmm. head because Reyes said he didn't have a knife, he didn't have a box cutter, he didn't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. He only used a, um, a brick, I believe it was, a brick or a rock and a branch. Mm-hmm. How uh, old was this guy, Mateus? Does anybody know at the time? I think Does he say no? Yeah, he was 18. 18. Yeah. Is it possible that he was part of this group that was wilding? Absolutely. Even though those other kids were 14 and 15, maybe 16, a couple of 16. 16, yeah. he, was, 16. he hung out in the park. 
Well, he was the park. East Side rapist. Yeah. He actually did a rape two weeks before the Central Park, mm-hmm. in Central Park, uh, yeah. for that. Yeah. So he gives his DNA, and then um, it matches. Yeah. Now the other shoe drops. Because um, Linda Fairstein thought, oh, good, we got the other, we got the other, the other party, we got the other rapist. And now, what what happens after that? They got to let these kids. Well, the kids are out of prison already. The only one who's still in is Corey. Right. Kerry Weiss is still still in. Um, the case now gets investigated by uh, Nancy Ryan, and Nancy Ryan does what she does, and. Um, you know, steers the case into a, to a specific direction. Direction, mm-hmm. and um, you know, here we are. Here then, we are talking well, about it. But one other thing happened after that. We were well. We were going to trial on this. Uh-huh. We were going to trial. I went to. I I was going to corporate, and I was retired. Right. The I corporation council was going to fight this. I was going for months. Yeah. I was going for months on this. So it thing. came back. It came back again. The case in your life, and you had a yeah. Yep. And you retired. Yes. And I used to have to take the train all the way down to church. How Street. obligated are you to go to court? Could you just say, nah, I don't want to do it? Um, well, I, mean, I got obviously, a subpoena. Oh, you got a subpoena. Okay. Yeah. I, look, I just I was just on a, a cold case homicide trial about a year ago. We had a, a homicide from 97 where a, a, this poor Dominican woman was, uh, there was a home invasion and they were I guess they were looking for the drugs that her boyfriend was selling, and they ended up setting her on fire and mm-hmm. creating a huge fire in the apartment. And she was killed, and a fireman got severely burned. So you're still burned. going to court? Yeah. I went to cases three. that were 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to clarify this. So now everybody's out of jail, everybody's out of prison, everybody's home, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a payout. But it's not easy to get because... Bloomberg's not going to do it, right? Nope. Bloomberg wants not to do with it. It we, took it took a while for them to get their money. What happened? Well, Bloomberg um, wanted to fight it, right? Yeah. yeah. Bloomberg was going to fight it, but what happened was they had a judge, all right, Judge Deborah Batts, the first black female lesbian uh, federal judge mm-hmm. in the in, in the U.S. That's a lot to put in your Instagram thing. Yes. You know, at the top, your bio. <laughs> Female black she was, lesbian judge. Well, they warned me. They warned An Instagram me. Instagram model. Go ahead. She's, they said that she hated the city. She was a thousand percent on the side of the Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was warned <laughs> that they were painting me as the black Mark Furman. Mm-hmm. And Why is that? I mean, besides for just doing what you're obligated to do, which, which was make the arrest, do the paperwork, appear in court. I'm saying, I'm probably guessing because you were vocal about yeah, through this whole time. You yes. were accessible. You were telling a side of the story that nobody wanted to, well, they didn't want that to hear they it. didn't want to hear. They didn't want to hear it. Okay. They didn't want to hear it. And they got to paint you as a villain in order to get whatever. whatever so what happened? You met with this judge and what happened? So No, I never got to meet with her. What happened was she was letting the case drag throughout the courts. Why? She was a um, they were waiting for the mayor to leave office. Okay, that makes sense. And Michael Armstrong was uh, was warning the city uh, corporation council at the time 
that you, that they got to get this case moving, because mm -hmm. otherwise uh, Bloomberg's going to be out of office and someone else is going to take over and you're not going to know who, you know, mm -hmm. what their position is going to be. So anyway, long story short, de Blasio is running for mayor, mm -hmm. right? And you know how politicians kiss his ass for whatever reason. I, I have no fucking idea. So de Blasio wants his endorsement, but Sharpton tells him, no, you're not getting my endorsement unless you promise that you're going to pay, you're going to settle with the Central Park Five. So uh, de Blasio went and saw the, their um, documentary. Right. I'm using air quotes there, their documentary. The Ken Burns documentary. Yes. And um, promised that he would do it. And of course, this is to get the black vote. Mm -hmm. um, he becomes mayor. He wins. And when, when the election was coming along, I told the corporation council, I said, listen, all right. What happened was de Blasio had won the election, but, it, you know, the elections are in November. He doesn't take office till January. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, I said, listen, he promised to pay them. I said, I think you guys should draft some kind of memo with all the, you know, with all the evidence that we have that proves that they were involved in this mm -hmm. so that he understands, you know, all right. Yeah, this is a bullshit campaign promise, but. The reality is this, and these are the facts. Right. So they were like, oh, yeah, it's a great idea. They, so they draft it. And in the meantime, um, Al Sharpton talks Bill de Blasio into appointing his own attorney as the head of the city law department. Mm -hmm. He made Al Sharpton's lawyer, um, Zachary Carter, the head of the law department. That's why the city... In de Blasio's first year as mayor, mm -hmm. paid more money in lawsuits than they had ever paid in New York City's history, because he was just giving away money. He was just giving it, just settling with people. Here, here, here. You got money. That's why Al Sharpton's daughter claimed that she tripped on a pothole and twisted her ankle. Mm -hmm. And she got like a hundred grand or something, right? She got like ninety, <laughs> but she wanted five million. And the only reason she didn't get it was because the Post caught it. Yeah, I remember that. Because on Facebook, she, you know, she's <laughs> dancing with her father after that, and she's climbing mountains. Did she have a wedding or something that she was yeah. dancing? Yeah, <laughs> she's doing fucking cartwheels. Get the fuck out of oh here. Oh, my God. God you bless know? America, man. God so, bless America. Corruption. The post-quarter. levels. But, so, oh, go ahead. But he was the one. He, he was given that memo. Mm -hmm. He was given the memo, and then he told them, doesn't matter. Take it back. He goes, this is, this is predetermined. This is preordained. They're getting, they're getting a payout. And so now they, they got the payout. And they were originally going to settle. Before, they, before de Blasio became mayor, I was told if they had to settle, they were going to give them all a total of $15 million. What did they get, $41 million? $41. To, to divide amongst themselves? Yeah. And, and I guess because Raymond Santana was the ringleader, he should probably get most of it, right? He should get the bigger cut. <laughs> It's the executive. <laughs> but you know what? Not only did they pay them out, they went and put their money into annuities and trust funds and all sorts of shit to ensure that they would have the money for, you know, for an extended period right. of time. Why, everybody got to go out and get chains and cars? Some people want to invest, man. <laughs> they will wait for a long time, man. They got good, uh, they got good representation now, I would imagine. I saw an interview, or at least a, a tiny fragment of it. It was only two of them. I think it was Raymond Santana. I'm trying to think of the other one. Uh, 
Abdul, what was his name? Abdul Salam? Yusuf Salam. Yusuf Salam. And uh, it's on Vlad TV. So they're out there. They're doing, they're doing their interviews. It's funny, though, because the interviews are, like, they're skewed in a way that were just, they, they were, they were, I don't want to say, they weren't acquitted, because they weren't acquitted. Bill will tell you, he read the thing, that the, the, the New York State never... Never acquitted, never them. exonerated, never them, right? nothing. So, but when they were interviewing these people, these, these Central Park Five, they never talk about anything that happened in the park. No. The only thing they concentrate on is the rape and that they didn't do it. And then it's right. from that we go right to how poorly they were treated by the police. Um, yeah, we didn't give them cookies like yeah. Bill provided for us. Every <laughs> interview starts off with, uh, did you get fed? Yes. Are you hungry? Are you okay? Are you... And you know what's interesting, too, with the uh, the interrogations? Well, it's the interviews. They're very adamant about not doing drugs. Each one of them is asked, did you smoke crack that night? No. Um, did you drink alcohol that night? No. Marijuana? No. And it's a funny thing the way we are because they're sitting there next to their parents and they don't right. want to be... They don't want, like, maybe they're scared their parents are going to get mad at them or hit them right in the middle of the interview. What are you doing drugs for? But yeah. raping a girl in the park, that's not that bad. I, I, I'll talk about it. Uh, but I didn't do no drugs. I was wilding, but I wasn't high. No, we were right. wilding straight, which is scary, even scarier, the fact that you're going there in a complete clear conscious. Well, it's, you know, it's the old saying, uh, don't drink in wild. Yeah. So will, will the truth ever, ever come out in this incident? I hope so. Well, now we got the movie coming out. This docudrama that's on Netflix, yeah. it's going to, who knows how many people are going to watch it. Yeah, but Friday, uh, Friday is a 2020, um, there's going to be a special. I saw that, we're all five of them, I saw the trailer for that. You, for no, 2020? No, 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 I'm, I'm talking about Diane, si Diane Sawyer, yeah. I think that's her, she's bringing, she's talking about the movie that's coming out, that's okay. what I watched. No, 2020 is, uh, they're doing an episode, I was interviewed, uh, Linda Fairstein was interviewed, Mike Sheehan, uh, Sal Blando, uh, Dr. Kurtz, the doctor that treated the jogger, um, Dr. Burrell, who was the court-appointed psychologist that did the evaluation. He did the psychological evaluation for Antron McRae mm -hmm. back in 89, and he also just happened to do the interview of um, Mateus Reyes when he was sentenced. And he was interviewed, and he's got a lot to say. He's, he said that uh, the... the it, it's, it's preposterous to believe that they were all led to say the same thing, you know, that they, they've done this. You know, uh, when you watch these kids, they're 14, 15, one 16 years old. When you think about orchestrating a group confession, uh, you could never, they're not actors. Um, one of them could barely put two sentences together. The other one was really, really quiet. Um, it, it was tough to hear him in the beginning. I think uh, that was Richardson. That was a little quiet. It was the bigger one, right? Yeah. Um, to to have all these kids that uh, who knows how far they, what they were doing in school. I'm sure, I, I can almost guarantee you they weren't straight A students. No, but these to get are, these them the to, bad kids. to get them to all be on be able to tell the same stories. And I cut. No, remember, don't forget, we told you to do this. All right, action. It's like, and then to be able to repeat it for the ADA. It's it's such a stretch. Because their whole argument is that the see here's another thing with the case. All they really had on the case was the confessions. That's the only thing that they had. Okay, there's no uh, the DNA evidence didn't match them. Okay, um, there's no cameras in the park. 
Um, the witnesses were hit from behind, some with a lead pipe, some with a, maybe a rock. Um, so we're talking about uh, this is when co- confessions become like so <laughs> vital to a case that you would have had nothing without these confessions. Right. You're absolutely right. So um, I don't know if we'll ever get to the to the bottom of this. Um, well, I would just like to, to say, uh, and in this report here, Judge, I think it was Galligan, uh, revisited the case and said none of the activities by the police were incorrect or unlawful. They followed the letter of the law, and he. The only thing he, like you spoke about before. The one statement he threw out, which was uh, when the cop asked him, Mo, uh, why, why aren't you out with your girlfriend? Right, exactly. That was the only thing that was thrown out. But he found that the work by the police, the detectives, everyone involved was perfectly within the parameters of the law. They followed the law to, you know, the letter of the law. You know, there was one know. statement that um, Anton McCray made about his dad, how his dad... He was being interrogated. He was being interrogated, and all of a sudden, they take his father out of the room. And uh, I guess who knows what they told the father, but the father come back in and tell him, "You tell these cops what they want to hear." And then he did, and then um, to, just to make his father happy, and that uh, he's never talked to his father again. Called him a coward. I thought that was like a. It's a real powerful. Whether it's true or not, or. Who knows, man? Well, uh, if you if you look at the video of him confessing, and they show his father, they show his father and his mother, mm-hmm. you could see his father is absolutely mortified. I mean, just imagine, because that's his stepson. Oh, okay. That's not his his real son. But you you marry someone, you take their child, you give him your name, you, you raise do him. all this shit for him, and then he does something like this. You know, now you're now all of a sudden you're walking this kid through crowds. Of people chanting at you, you know, that your kid's a rapist and your picture's being taken and it's, you know, your image is shown all around the world mm-hmm. as being a part of this. You know, it's, I mean, what would anybody do? How fast the time goes by when you're having fun, right? Wasn't this a great uh, sit down? It's a great you know, conversation. It's, 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 we all knew the case or know the case at various levels and it was still fascinating. You uh, were definitely worth the hassle, Bill. I want to thank you for you. for continuing your pursuit of our guest today, Eric Reynolds. Eric thank, was, thank, you know, thank you for coming in and sharing your story with us. It's a fascinating story. And um, to, to be able to talk to the... I mean, I remember that story... Um, like it was yesterday. It was such a moving, gripping story. Um, New York has a way, we just have these stories that can, you know, pinpoint where you were at that time. It's almost like a song in a way, in a disturbing way. Like, you know, the way you would remember where you were when Santa Sam was doing his, um, you know, his killings. And uh, Central Park was another one. Um, Howard Beach was another one. These, these, the, these, Different moments of time, the way a, a song can bring you back. You think about these cases and where you were and what you were doing at this time. And this was a horrible, horrible thing that happened to that poor lady. And um, who knows? We'll probably never, ever get at the least out, out of the horse's yeah. mouth what actually went down, what happened that night. Um, well, but, now they've been coached for how many years by attorneys yeah. and, you know, documentary. I'm happy, though. Oh, they still don't give a straight answer. No, no. And, they you know, can't. I would love just to, to ask them, what were, you, what were you doing in the park? Were you playing tennis? You know, what were you doing? You know, tennis. Don't forget, the, you know what, it, no. last thing, the only thing they were tried for was the rape. What about the five? Weren't they, why weren't they charged with 
the other I ones. They were included. Oh, really? some they of were? Those charges. Yeah, okay, right. maybe they were. Because one was an assault one. Okay, yeah. good. All because right. Nancy Ryan threw those charges out also, even though there was no basis to throw them out, but she came up with some convoluted bullshit as to well, why it's those almost like be. the fruits of the poisonous tree. If one thing's wrong, you throw everything out. Yeah. You know? hey, like yeah, I but tell- it wasn't like it was a bad ID or a bad, right. uh, you know. It, she didn't. She never pointed to specifically what that poisonous item was. You know, right. uh, this issue of them giving different stories. You know, if if you notice, no one will ever tell you what the differences were in the stories that made it seem like they were false confessions. They you could watch it. Like we mentioned it before. Well, watch the, watch the interrogations on your own. They're out there. Say. They're online. Okay, listen. Oh, what we usually tell... God, you just one last thing. You mentioned psychologists. I just want to say one thing. All of those people making a, a buck off of this, they're all phonies. They're all shysters. I dare anybody who claims to be an expert in false confessions to show me an empirical... An empirically done uh, research paper that's peer-reviewed that proved that th- proves that there's such a thing as a false confession, because that is total bullshit. They they're pulling that out of their ass. Sounds like you know what you're talking to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I want to thank you for coming. Um, uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And um, Bill, any parting words? No, it's it's fascinating, and you know it's it's a shame, you know, on the us all being on the police department uh, that we loved, and we know it's it's on the level. And see these accusations, which are totally false by these documentarians who just leave stuff out conveniently to try to prove their point. And it's really sad. It really is sad because, you know, I know a lot of the detectives that worked on this case, and they were all top-notch guys. And, yes, uh, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. That's all I have to say, really. It's, it wasn't the first time, and it definitely won't be the last um, but in the meantime, man, this was a great conversation that we had with you. And I learned a lot, man. And I'm really, really happy that you stopped by. We always open, we give this open invitation September 21st. Yes. We're going to be doing a, a, a live podcast at a place called Pleasant, um, Lucy's, Lucy's in, Pleasant. in Pleasantville. Not by the pool? No. Yeah, maybe we could do that, too. Maybe that, too. We're going to do also a comedy show. And we want oh, you to nice. go up and do some time. Yeah. Would you, would you grace us? Uh, I haven't been on stage in a while. Well, I, I'm giving really you can't. four months. Okay. You can write some new You jokes. got four more. Uh, September, right? It's yeah, June, September. July. I think it's yeah. actually September 22nd, I think right. it is. Well, one, yeah, we'll, we'll, you're going to get the invitation. You got some time. Mm-hmm. We're not expecting, you know, you don't have to do a lot of time. Maybe give us like 20 minutes, 30, half hour if you got it. I'm just kidding. Give us, give us a tight eight, man. Hit them hard. Pray to God. That's what I'm, that's what we're all going to do that night. But we want to have you down there. Uh, we're going to be doing a live broadcast from there. Uh, we're going to catch up with you on that date. If you can make it, we'd love to have you. And on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, um, all right, we're in the tour, man. Over and out. Peace. Thank <laughs> you.